Hey, everybody. You've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. And this is Josh. It is June 1st, 2021. June. Just the two of us today as Andrew is off. I think he's cleaning and packing up his old house. Since it's the first of the month, maybe he just had to do some last minute things there. So he was busy all day. But why did he wait till the first of the month? I I, I mean, <laughs> I don't. I, we can ask him about that next week, I guess. But it seems... But I'm, I'm like, are there people waiting outside the house who are like, who is this guy? Maybe they were like, we're coming in the second and he just waited to the last minute, as often people do. I know I'm like yeah. that sometimes. You need that deadline. You need to be like, okay, I'll do it at the last possible moment. It's funny that it was the weekend and then it passed and then it was Monday and then it passed. And he's like, oh God, Tuesday the 1st. I just imagine him with that music that's in all the old Warner Brothers shorts whenever somebody's panicking. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, he's definitely got some Raymond Scott type music going on during his, maybe his whole life, not just the packing stuff. <laughs> yeah. like, we don't know. He, he would be a great guy to have a band following him around with some sort of amusing soundtrack playing. So today I went into the Mayfair to swap out the marquee as per usual. Without exaggeration, I think we're in about five or six weeks straight of someone purchasing the marquee to put up a message usually birthdays or stuff like that. Sometimes it's just a random, like their favorite movie quote. But today is a very interesting modern communications experiment because the message is, hey, Nick, when this all blows over, want to get hitched. So usually in these cases, I said, well, let me know when the surprise has been sprung. Let me know when you're done with it. So you don't blow it. Exactly. Yeah. So then I'll put it up on social media and I said, and it's no problem for me to wait a day or two. Like there's no rush. She said the proposer was like, no, Nick's never on social media and he's actually busy working today. So go ahead and post it in the morning as you normally would a Mayfair message. So I think this is really fun, as did she. It's just a neat experiment to see in the next few hours, will that message get back to this Nick or... Will it still be a surprise when she tricks him into walking by the cinema later this afternoon? Did she? Was there a timeline that you were given? Is it like a post five o'clock thing or something? Well, yeah. Like, so I told her that it's up all day, so no rush. And she said the plan as of this morning was to pick him up from work, wherever that is. And the excuse was going to be to go pick up some takeout that would get them in the neighborhood of the Mayfair. So they were going to drive by the Mayfair to pick up some food from somewhere in the Mayfair hood. And that would be an excuse to see the marquee. And then the proposal would mm -hmm. happen at like 530 today or something. So I'm just waiting. And I posted it to everywhere. And I put before you ask, I don't know the answer yet. <laughs> but stay tuned yeah. for updates. Man, that's a lot of exciting well, I was going to say drama. I guess drama is not the right word, but, you know, the tension, I guess. Yeah, and it is, it's just nice for somebody to tie in the Mayfair as such to a very important life event and make it kind of fun, make it kind of inventive. This happened just like a week ago, week ago, two weeks ago, someone proposed on the marquee and it went well, was received in a romantic and appreciated fashion. But it's just, it's nice. It's overwhelming. For someone to post a birthday message or something like that, that's that's very nice. But to take that leap to propose to somebody on the marquee at the Mayfair, mm -hmm. that's that's something else. And you just think like between 9 a.m. this morning, as we speak now, it's it's 1.20 in the afternoon. 
So I haven't heard anything via social media of anybody piping up of he found out or anything like that. But just the amount of cars that drive by there, the amount of people that walk by there. So it's an interesting kind of run Lola run experiment of chaos theory of will this message get to him or not in the next couple hours. And I feel like it's not like it would like ruin everything either. Like it's still amazing, but it certainly would down it a little bit, I think. Well, that's what she said. She seemed very up to the idea of thinking it would be fun if he found out via someone at work going, have you looked at the Mayfair Twitter account? <laughs> that, that makes it kind of fun as well. So we will update our podcast listeners next week. But if you're on social media sometime around June 1st or 2nd, I'm sure we will update the info on there as well. So we'll we'll see what happened. Man, that's exciting. I'm sure it'll go well. I trust our Mayfair patrons that none of them are the crazy type that you see at baseball games who propose after the first date and it doesn't go well when they do so on the Jumbotron, you know? Yeah, that's not, not really great. <laughs> I, I feel like that's not going to happen. The other thing I did at the Mayfair is Gwen and I went in on the weekend and I've just been just chipping away at kind of chores. And it is the nice silver lining about this time is that we're cleaning up a lot of stuff and emptying out some junk and throwing out stuff. That's how our 35 millimeter trailer sale came to be and selling off marquee tiles we weren't using and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. But we were cleaning out the bunker underneath the projection booth. And when I said that on social media, a number of people were like, the what? <laughs> so right underneath the projection booth, if you're standing looking at it in the cinema, imagine there's a bunker that is right behind the marquee and right above the lobby into the cinema. Mm -hmm. And in that space is just storage, essentially. So we went in there and we, a lot of stuff is just, it's just like, at your grandparents' house, they might have a bunch of boxes in the basement they don't use. They just kind of got stored there or dead light bulbs, that kind of thing. So we got rid of a bunch of that stuff. But in doing so, we just found some neat treasure that I, I will post sooner or later. But just random film strips that were broken off or at the bottom of a box. Mm -hmm. The TriStar logo. One was the MGM logo and then a full moon right after it. So I'm going to post that and be like, anybody know what MGM movie starts with a full moon right away after it? <laughs> hey, I'm sure there's only one. Yeah. And we found uh, one piece that just said adult entertainment, like a warning censorship thing that would have been tagged onto the front of like a 35 millimeter porn movie, essentially. Mm -hmm. And the really neat thing we found is this box for an eight millimeter film canisters, film rolls for Rhapsody in Blue from 1945. And the movie's in it, but it's an eight millimeter movie that is not in good shape. I don't think it would survive going through a projector, but the box looks like something that Indiana Jones would have slung over his shoulder, just like a little square box <laughs> that's thick enough to hold four or five, eight millimeter film reels. And it has like some cool old 1940s, like movie board stamps on them. And it was just down there. We just found it. We unearthed it down there. So that's been sitting down there for a long time. Man, that's wild. But so now it's all clean down there. And we have room to kind of put some more stuff. But yeah, it's just this, it's just weird little room that you don't realize is there until you get pointed out the space. And you're like, oh, yeah, there's a big block of space there that is nothing. Our weird projection room bunker. Man, that's it's all the, the behind the scenes stuff that no one gets to see, like our, like multiple basements and stuff. Yeah. And behind the screen, a lot of people assume there's space back there but there really isn't there's room to kind of walk around 
but we're tidying up back there and we have a handful of film prints back there that we're going to put into the bunker. And then that leaves just a little bit more leg room back there for when the shadow cast is back to doing their thing, they'll be able to kind of be able to change slightly easier, but yeah, there's not space. If you're standing outside on Euclid street, looking at the Mayfair and kind of imagine where the screen is, you can see that you're like, Oh yeah, there's like, five feet there there's not room for a big space like i'm trying to think of the movie what was it gremlins maybe there's a scene where they're behind the screen and there's a giant space back there oh yeah no it's not nothing like that it seems more fun you know when when you haven't seen it and then once you actually like go out that back entrance or, or exit or whatever and then you're like ah okay well it's still i mean there is like four so it like kind of looks like it's there's more to it than there is, but it's really just kind of an odds and sods area. Yeah. It's the other assumption that we were a burlesque house back in the day or something. And we're like, no, not a real theater. There was um, a touring group that would have been great to have them in, but they needed a theater. They needed like overhead to hang lights on and they needed a backstage and they all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it took, three or four emails to drill it into them very nicely and be like, no, 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 we're a movie theater. You can't bring in that many instruments. There is no overhead rig to hang lights off of. They, like they needed a space. They need to go into like the NAC or something like that. Right. Yeah. And because they saw the look of the cinema and the look of the inside of the cinema and our fake balconies. And they just thought they were like, Oh, we thought you had all this other stuff. And we're like, no, we, we show movies. We can do little live events, but we don't have space to, put on like and they had like set pieces that would sit on a stage to accompany the silent film that was playing and then they were in front of that like just kind of like decorative stuff that would be on a stage in the wings with a screen in between it yeah and we're like we got no space for that <laughs> so <laughs> all that stuff you're describing is not what you think you're getting <laughs> i told him i said when we have a live band in it's four or five people very cozy shoved to the front of the cinema they load in through a side door, but we don't have a loading dock. We don't have space to store road cases and instruments and stuff like that. Like it has to all happen in the day. Yeah. So it was a lovely thought, but it was like, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> no, like yeah, it's definitely, it's funny because like when you're just sitting in the, in the theater, it does kind of look like there's way more to it than there is. I don't know. It's, it's, that's kind of like, it's the good and bad of working there because, you know, you see all the behind the scenes stuff and then you're like, oh, you know, but when you're actually just going to visit and you're just like, wow, what's downstairs? What's behind the screen? Like, what? Oh, can you go up on the balconies? Like, whoa. And you're like, no, no, <laughs> not that. I mean, I don't want to kill the mystique for anyone else, but, you know. Yeah, there's a photo from Gwen and I's wedding. It was perfectly captured. It's pretty hilarious where it's me pointing at our fake balconies and pointing out to a friend of mine who for 20 years thought that there was actually stairs or a ladder up there. Mm -hmm. And it's me saying, no, there's nothing there. There's no ladder up there. You have to set up a ladder to get up there, but there's no back door. There's no, it's like you can barely fit a human being up there. And you could see them a little <laughs> heartbroken because they were like, oh, I thought it was like a Romeo and Juliet balcony with like a secret backstage area and stuff like that. And you're like, no, nothing up there. Nothing at all. <laughs> We're just in hibernation still, really no update. The only thing that is pure rumor is that when we do come back, it might switch from 50 people to 25%, which would be great because 25% uh, for us, I believe is 81 
and a quarter people. Okay. So that's way more than 50 people. Yeah, that's that's maybe 31 more approximately. Yeah, I don't know how we do a quarter person. We're like... <laughs> yeah, maybe not a best. Like, idea, come on, right? let us round up to eighty-two. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering about that. Well, because you need the like the float of people too, in a way of you know employees or whatever. You know, like if I I don't know how they figure that out. Like it gets confusing where you're like, am I am I a person? Do I count as a person? No, they they allow staff to be above the law. So theoretically, you could have a sold out show of eighty-two and still have one or two people in the candy bar and a manager and stuff like that. So yeah, so it's a, you get a little bit more than that, but I mean, you know, not to play down our, our success as a business, but getting 82 people a show or 81 persons a show versus 50, that puts us more towards what we would normally have at the best of times. So mm -hmm. if we could have three shows a day at 80 people, you know, cause with the exception of the occasional, parasite gangbuster blockbuster that's good numbers for us and i think if we had 80 as as a, a top out i think we would pack that a lot because people would people are ready to come back and and the amount of times we had screenings and because we are we are good rule following people that we turned away people was a lot and there was times for mm -hmm. for some big retro movies did really well whether it was it's a wonderful life or the warriors or 2001 there were some of those nights where I'm like, God, I think I just turned away 50 or 60 people. So if we could get that next bump up, it would definitely, of course, help our help our bank account for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, and it's looking like, well, I don't know, it's a little cagey. I know, I know things are kind of like opening up, not so much for us, but like in general more so like June 14th, I think is like kind of a big day. And then I think maybe it's like, wait and see how that's going. And then maybe like the 28th or something like it's it's kind of like two week increments it feels like yeah and like down in the states there is good sign that for better or for worse i guess but that people are going back to the multiplexes yeah because i think a quiet place 2 just made nearly 60 million dollars its opening weekend mm -hmm. which is apparently like the same number that the first one made more or less so that's pretty wild yeah, so that's very interesting. And and a lot of people are saying the second week is the one to watch because it could go down like 90% because everybody who wanted to go will go that first weekend. Yeah, it's possible. But it could go the other way too, that there were people who were like, I'm still a little nervous. We'll see how it goes. And then you're like, oh, wow, a bunch of people went. I get, well, maybe I will go. Yeah, and, and it kind of fits into my mindset anyhow of I think this is going to be the new normal of I think we can all have a symbiotic relationship of it hits the multiplex for a week, comes to us for a week, then at the exact same time hits HBO or whatever, then goes on Blu-ray for the super collectors. But I just think it's going to be a shorter window. I just listened to a podcast that was an in-depth Batman 89 podcast. They, they were just basically talking about it for two hours. And it was really fun. But they pointed out that Batman 89 came out in June and then was on VHS for Christmas time. Huh. That was a big thing at the time because that usually in the early 80s, if you looked, some movies didn't come out on VHS for a year. They were also in the early days, no option to just buy it. I remember, I have a memory of a store that had a poster up for Raiders of the Lost Ark and the VHS, I think was like ninety nine ninety nine. That mindset was that a video store would buy one or two copies, rent it a bunch 
sell junk food. It would pay it off. There was really no owning market at the time. But when stuff like Batman came out, they were like 20 bucks and they sold a bazillion of them. Yeah. So that's kind of like now where instead of six months, it'll be eight weeks or immediately. But I still think, again, from the Mayfair point of view, anyhow, we can totally get along with that. We can totally be like, sure, Suicide Squad will play you the same day that you're on TV. Yeah. No, definitely. Well, it's it's funny because uh, like today, the new Saw movie hit digital and it just feels so weird to me that it, to just be like, first of all, that it's not out in October, but like also that it's just like, that you know, we didn't get to play it. And, you know, it kind of makes you think is like, well, there'd probably be an OK audience for that if we did play it in October, like assuming assuming we were open and everything goes great. But it's just kind of it's weird, like everything feels off. You know, that it's you're like, oh, yeah, that movie came and went. It's already on digital and it's June. You know, like it's just kind of so surreal. I wonder, are they just trying to stay out of the way of Halloween? Like Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween? I can't tell. Like, or, or they might have just got tired of waiting possibly too. Like, and they just were like, okay, well, we'll put it out. And like, it's it's weird when they, because I, I remember that that used to be the thing. It was like every, every I was going to say Christmas, every Halloween, you know, there'd be a Saw movie. And then I think one of them maybe the last one was off like maybe it was may or something like that and it just felt weird you were like it just it felt like it was supposed to be part of the mystique of that series and instead it's just it's like it came and went and who knows like because i they don't even know what's going to be happening in in october but yeah i mean that i suppose they could just be like well we want to be the horror movie that was out first you know like it's just kind of weird well and that's an example too like i've been as I can, I'm going to run out, but I've been posting some old Mayfair schedules. And it's so funny to see how back in the 90s that it really was, if you were lucky, a movie would come to the Mayfair six or eight months later. Whereas nowadays, in, in the before times, sometimes it could be as little as a few weeks after the multiplex or a couple of months. Even like the big, big stuff like Star Wars, that was out for Christmas time and then we'd screen it around March break. So like three months for the mm -hmm. biggest of mainstream multiplex movies. But I posted a schedule that was very nostalgic for me because it's from my high school days. So it's again, it's people call them monthly schedules, but they're not. <laughs> this one is from yeah. May 29th to July 17th. So it's seven weeks. It's so weird. Seven week schedule. It's just like I live there and so many good movies. It's it's incredible how many good movies are on this thing. Yeah. And the funniest thing is just of the time, because on the back in big, bold print, it says Arnold Schwarzenegger, double bill, June 12th. So that was probably the big draw for this schedule was Terminator 2 and Total Recall double bill. So two relatively new movies. But it's so funny because you think of now like Schwarzenegger still around, but Kids today don't know what a Schwarzenegger is practically. Kids today. Kids today. <laughs> you might as well call the podcast that. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't know. It's funny. I was uh, semi-related, but I, I, like I was, you know, and I don't think my brother listens to this, so it's fine. For his birthday, like he really likes uh, sealed packs of trading cards. Oh, cool. Like still. And so like I just, I was, I haven't really gotten him something in a couple of years. And like he's actually going to be in Ottawa for his birthday. So I kind of made a bit of a splash and I just like getting a bunch of just various sports, mostly like late 80s to mid 90s uh, sealed packs. And it's just like, it's so cool, but weird. You know, so much of it is like, sure. I mean, there might be some valuable cards in there, but it's mostly you're, you're paying for the feeling, you know, like the mystery box feeling. 
and and it's funny because like I'm I'm sure you remember that feeling. I sure do. But I was talking to a coworker of mine who's like 21, I guess, something like that. And I was just like, you didn't really collect cards, right? And he was like, oh, I, I like Pokemon cards. And I was like, oh, all right. I mean, that's, that's still something. But it's funny, like that's such a you know, mostly contained feel for people like around our age, I think, where you just got that insane nostalgic rush. And it's it's hard to replicate for people that didn't experience that, but it's neat. Like, I, just, I guess I just find it cool that these things even still exist, you know, like 1990 pack of NFL cards or whatever, you know, for a couple of bucks. It's just like, it's so cool. Like, I don't know. It's I'm, I'm getting lost in nostalgia like I always do, but you get it. <laughs> I can remember the exact feel and smell of Return of the Jedi trading cards. Mm. Like the feel of that wax pack that it was wrapped up in then the gum inside that was just like powdery at the time it was actual gum. <laughs> Nowadays it's like shards of glass. If you, if you do find a retro pack and buy it and then the cards inside were just, they weren't glossy. Like they were cards. Like they felt like cardboard on the back and slightly more glossy on the front, but not much, but just, yeah, everything about that. And tops has done a really good job. I don't know if they've done it for sports, but they've done it for, geek stuff mm -hmm. i have what do i have i have the star wars trilogy and star trek 66 and planet of the apes the first movie their tops trading cards mini coffee table books the dust jacket is done in that wax pack style <laughs> and then inside is just every single card double-sided printed on a page with maybe like some footnotes and stuff it's great and relatively inexpensive, like 20 or 25 bucks. And if you tried to collect those cards, it would cost a fortune. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, for the exactly right. Like the nostalgia thing that they would go that extra mile of making the dust jacket feel the same as a pack of cards. Yeah. And it's uh, some people don't like nostalgia, but I'm like, as long as it's a mix, like you can't. There are some people who only like old stuff. They only like cartoons from their youth. There's so much good being made all the time still. So it's, it's, there's no, no shame in liking something from your youth. But then also every once in a while, something from your youth, you watch it and you're like, oh my God, kids are dumb. That was horrible. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, and it, it's, I was thinking of you a lot too, because I just kind of was putting in, you know, trading cards sealed and like some of the stuff I was like, oh, Josh would lose his mind. Like the Batman cards and like the, like even like Looney Tunes cards, like Muppets card. I almost got you. I thought it was a sealed box of 1993 Muppets cards and it was 20 bucks shipped. And I was like, oh my God. Oh, man. And, but it was one pack oh, for 20 bucks. Yeah. 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 And I was like, well, Josh, easy come, easy go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's insane some of the stuff they made. <laughs> there was an auction I was watching and I thought I was going to luck out because it was a box of Batman Returns cards and nobody seemed to be paying attention to it. But the problem is a lot of people just start bidding with 15 minutes to go kind of thing, right? Or like a minute to go. <laughs> yeah. So it went from four bucks to 20 to 85 very fast. <laughs> And I'm like, no, I would have bought this for, you know, 10, 20 bucks. But uh, after that, it's it's that's too much. Yeah, it gets a little insane. I, I was able to get a pack of cards. They're like big baseball cards, which only lasted three years because people were like, they're bigger than the normal cards. I can't store these. They're like the 1950s cards, like kind of bigger than average. And so I was able to get a box of 36 sealed packs for 10 bucks. And I was like, OK, that's amazing. But most of the other stuff, it's like 
60, hundred bucks, whatever, you know, and, and it's just, it's neat, but you know, I, I, yeah. so much of that stuff, especially when it's like, there's no insert cards or there's no, like, I really wanted to get the Jaws 2 cards, but I was like, I, why, I don't need this. Why do I need Jaws 2 cards? Like, I, don't, I still want them. That's really my mindset with collecting geek junk is like, yeah, I'll pay $5 for that Star Wars action figure. I won't pay $7. Like, even something that oh, yeah. little. I'm like, man, it's, <laughs> it's uh, out of my price range. Especially if there's a or best offer. I'm like, well, you're not getting full price. Like, you put or best offer. So I just kind of go back and forth on stuff. And I'm just like, why would you even put best offer? You're going to be a jerk about it. That's worked a couple times for me where they were like, $10 or best offer. And I'll go, four? And they go, sure. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> Yeah, I try not to be a jerk, like, yeah. you know, and really, really lowball, but certain, I'm, I'm like, I think this is fair enough. And then I'm just like, well, I'm going to walk or I'll be like, all right, well, you get one more option. Yeah, it's like, it's like, if I can save $2 or something, that's, that's reasonable. Yeah, no, it's, it. well, and the other thing too is like, for some of these, I'm just, I find someone who's selling multiple types of packs and I'm just like, okay, well, I'll buy four of them if you give me a discount on each of them, something like that, you know, it makes sense. Yeah. That's fun. I had way too much fun doing this. <laughs> Do you want to give some recommendations while we don't have to rush through them? Yeah, definitely. I was like eyeballing the 1993 schedule at some of this. The hilarious, the Rocky Horror Heavy Metal double bill is pretty sweet. We could talk about old schedules forever. My favorite thing on this old schedule is there's a Bad Lieutenant Reservoir Dogs double bill. This is what I was going to say. <laughs> and I was not old enough. None of my friends were old enough to go see it. And it wasn't even sneak in. It wasn't like we did anything like that. All we did was walk up to the box office and buy tickets and go see two very restricted movies. And we were not 18 yet. So yeah, the, some the, the triple bills are sweet as well. The cop and a half matinee CB four. Yeah. I mean, not an actual <laughs> triple bill, but I just call everything that the, I was going to say the bad Lieutenant. I love that. It says caution may offend some. Oh yeah. But it's playing with reservoir dogs. Like, couldn't you say may offend some for any R-rated movie for the most part? That's how offensive Bad Lieutenant was. Was you had, <laughs> yeah, true. You true. had to give it an extra little kick. Well, because it was NC seventeen initially. Like I don't I think not so here seemingly, but yeah, like it's a hard R. I think as we call it here. Before we go, I can read because Andrew actually, when he replied to me and said, "Ah, oh, sorry, I'm busy all day," is he said, "But I was going to mention." His pick of the week for a movie was he saw a movie called Hard Times with Charles Bronson and James Coburn. It's a Depression-era bare-knuckle boxing movie made by Walter Hill before he made The Warriors, and it's highly recommended. Damn, that sounds just like him. Like It's like he's here, you know? I've never seen it, and I want to see this movie now. I like Walter Hill. I'm pretty excited. I think we mentioned Walter Hill last week as well. That's amazing. Uh, let me see. You can go first while I'm trying to find my damn list. Well, here's my funny thing. Just in this lockdown time of late, I haven't been watching any movies. And I'm a big screen kind of person. I, of course, have movies I watch at home sometime. But just I've just been on the trend of catching up on TV and watching a ton of Mystery Science Theater. Gwen and I are just plowing through those because they're all on uh, Shout Factory TV, which which I highly recommend because it's filled with all this mm -hmm. free content, which I do not understand their business model because there's no commercials or anything. And it's just on their channel. But we've watched, we're watching a movie at night. We're going to catch up sooner or later. They don't have everything on there, but they have like 40 or 50 MST3Ks on there that I haven't seen half of them or so. So I've been watching a lot of Mystery Science Theater. 
I've been watching old Dark Shadows, which I unironically am madly in love with. Oh yeah, how far into that are you now? I am on a whopping episode two sixty out of twelve hundred. So oh wow. And the fact that I'm not watching eight or nine a day is the greatest proof that I have willpower because that I'm still being productive and doing stuff at the Mayfair and you know, doing dishes or laundry or anything else, writing. Because, man, I love this show. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. And they've hit full tilt vampire mode now with the character uh, Barnabas Collins, who comes in 250 episodes in and, by all accounts, pushes the show to the next level of awesome campiness. But it's, it's a really good show, really good acting, really good twists. And it just happens to have vampires and stuff in it. So that's what I've been watching in lieu of movies the last little while. They're like movies. They're like short movies. And there is a movie of Dark Shadows, which I saw at the Mayfair a couple years ago, but I kind of have blanked it out now, and I don't want to go back <laughs> and watch it until three or four years from now when I catch up to the 1,200 episodes of Dark Shadows. Yeah, there's a poster downstairs, too, and I, and I feel like it's autographed, but like I don't know by who or how that would have happened. Like I almost think it was like a staff member autographed it as a gag. I don't but... know. Like Yeah, I don't know if... Because we had like a special preview screening of it. So I don't know if they sent us some swag. And I don't know. The autograph doesn't stand out as an autograph. Like you can't look at it and go, oh, that says Tim Burton. That says Johnny Depp. That says Michelle Pfeiffer. So I'm like, this could be a legit autograph. But I don't have any specificity of who it's from. It's probably like the line producer or something. Like it's, it's not. It's someone like low level or the best boy. One of the gaffers. Yeah, that which would be actually even better yeah. but it's it's never like you know it's never one of the heavy hitters no but it's still it's intriguing because you're like oh autograph and then you're like oh, this is just basically a line like i don't even know what this is i don't understand why anyone would buy an autograph online they're so easy to fake like i don't get it yeah because the whole thing of an autograph is is your story you're like i went to a book signing i was at a convention i met this person but mm. i've seen hockey cards and like william shatner star trek cards for sale on ebay and it's kind of like william shatner's like a scribble of a w and a scribble of an s not hard to fake with a sharpie and i was like i just i don't know why anybody would buy an autograph if not from the person directly yeah how many of them have you been selling uh faking these william shatner autographs yeah that's what i do <laughs> <laughs> it's like hey we got to do something to stay in business right i mean now we're just selling weird autographs like every trailer that we sell is autographed by me pretending to be somebody from that trailer oh that's a fun that's an upsell (laughs) yeah i I guess or maybe uh maybe it's gonna keep people away i don't know but but the point is i i i only watched four movies since last week four that's that's Um, four more than i did (laughs) yeah fair and like i already seen one of them but the one i would recommend and it's it's on youtube because it's like i think it was like a vhs release only and i it's so obscure but but I watched it for bad movie night, but I had actually seen it before. So it was one of the movies that they did for the VHS Fest, I think two years ago. I think it was for the first one. Um, and it's called Mutilations, which sounds like it's going to be super gross and gory. It's, it's not really. It's just like cheesy B-movie regional film, most likely. And it's, and it's just, you know, obviously it's not for everybody, but just for a laugh, you know, they're doing their best and kind of overacting and stuff. It's, it's really a lot of fun. But uh, probably like the most legit one that I watched was I did watch Hard Target. Oh, yeah. After, after, yeah. And so I have been able to find like a copy of the work print, which apparently is like 30 minutes longer. So I haven't watched that yet. But reading the backstory of it, it's pretty fascinating that 
well it was john woo's first movie and so there was obviously like some uh some lost in translation elements to it but what i didn't realize is that they brought in sam raimi to be like the backup director yeah that was when sam had a pretty good run with universal with the exception of army of darkness which didn't go so well but that was when universal tv from sam's company had xena and hercules and then he produced hard target and time cop which i think both did pretty well for the time and a few other things but yeah so he was i think his credit was producer or executive producer yeah but i think he was there to kind of also help john woo with an english production or with a you know hollywood production versus what he had done up to that point yeah and i think it was also like insurance in a way if it falls through they're like okay we can just throw this english dude in and he can direct the rest of it like yeah 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 but it's kind of funny because like apparently van damme and and his buddy i don't know some sort of like confidant like they basically locked themselves in the editing room and just cut the movie themselves and they and supposedly the missing footage most of it is is lance hendrickson's character and he basically was like this is a van damme movie not a lance hendrickson movie like that's what van damme said and so they basically just cut out everyone else's parts well, not entirely obviously but it's just sort of hilarious where you're just like oh like that's the version that got released you've got this like first time english director you know to put it that obviously not a first time director but like first time in english and then to have this massive ego of van damme at the possibly the height of his power in some ways oh yeah totally at the, at the peak of his van damage right and so to just come in and be you know all high on life and whatever else and just be like i'm gonna i I know better than you do john woo and everybody else here and and i mean it's still i think it did like okay i think so yeah but it's just funny to think like what would that even have looked like and especially knowing john woo later on in his career and just the epic scope of so many of his movies it's interesting to wonder what that would have been like the real director's cut not they call the the international cut the director's cut but it's really like the director's cut would be like half an hour longer than it was and it's essentially just like a most dangerous game type movie, more or less. But, you know, good cast. It was fun. Like, I enjoyed it. But it does make you wonder just what could have been. Like, like we always say, basically. Imagine the poor editor sitting there with Jean-Claude over his shoulder with no super knowledge of how editing actually works. Just <laughs> repeatedly going, no, no, more of me. Cut that guy out. More of me. And him just sitting yeah. there kind of rolling his eyes and sighing and going like, okay Jean-Claude sure thing (laughs) like they literally had a camera guy just filming his muscles a separate camera guy just for his muscles at his request he basically demanded John Woo have a third cameraman who was filming muscle close-ups so they could work it in the movie and so John Woo agreed with the knowledge that he would never put it in the movie he didn't tell Van Damme that but oh poor camera guy yeah I know so none of the muscle footage made it into the movie from what I can tell so we need them to release the muscle cut as well I love that movie it's it's super campy and super of its time but but yeah. Lance Hagerson's really good and scary in it and it's got some good action and it's got just some silly stuff like when he hops on top of the motorbike and then jumps off the motorbike and the motorbike's still going and I'm like uh I don't think that would yeah. work I... <laughs> yeah that part especially it was ridiculous like I'm not a I've never driven a motorcycle but I'm pretty sure you have to do something with your hands and feet to keep the motorcycle going that won't that stops when you're standing on it. So yeah, 
even like yeah even him you know you would think wouldn't be able to do it but hey i mean it happened you saw, I it. saw it i mean you can't fake that yeah so you know maybe we'll get the director's cut maybe we get the muscle cut you know but for now i was like yep that was that was fun that was one of the better bandana movies probably and of the time too it's like we lived in a world where steven seagal and jean-claude van damme and two or three other people who we have completely forgotten about were a-list hollywood action stars yeah well, yeah, and just to think, like, going down the rabbit hole of Dolph Lundgren, especially, like, just, he has 40 movies that I couldn't name, probably, yeah. you know? <laughs> and of them all... But, you know, he does what he does well. Of them all, he's the one who's probably still around doing the coolest stuff. True. Yeah, and I mean, then there's still, I guess, I, I haven't seen um, Jean-Claude Van Johnson, which apparently is a pretty funny show, but... I recommend that as well, yes. Yeah, so, you know, like, he's done... And, and even JCVD, like, I mean, it, it's pretty pretty cool that he eventually got self-aware enough to be like, yeah, I was a bit of an arrogant ass and yeah, you know, I can poke fun at myself about it at least. Okay. So let's uh, wrap it up for the week. Thanks for listening, everybody. As I said earlier, we really have no updates specifically of our comeback, but we're hoping it's around the end of July. As we get any information, we'll be sure to share it, but you'll probably get it from the media at the exact same time, but stay tuned to our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and our website and there'll be updates there and we go on every day and update it with a lovely new marquee sign or treasure that we have found during our cleaning so we're keeping busy we will see you back here next week on the Mayfair Lockdown Podcast thanks for listening everybody bye bye you should definitely edit some of Andrew's lines from last week's episode into this one so it seems like he was there yeah just the occasional like oh I agree Unrelated. he's like Walter Hill you're like oh yeah that's natural Jean-Claude Van Damme is hard to handle. How'd you like to work for me? Silver Star, Marine Force Recon. Hard to resist. Do you trust me? And even harder to kill. These men will chase after you. Be mad at you for business or pleasure. Both. Boudreaux is the target we're after. How's it feel to be hunted? You tell me. From internationally acclaimed action director John Woo. Hard target. Rated R. You miss me. Starts Friday, August 20th at theaters everywhere.